0: All of the big events that have happened throughout history have had an impact in cities. Our cities, and if we are smart enough, they change and they start addressing what people needed that moment. We are evolving creatures and cities should be the same. And what doesn't work anymore should be maybe questioned. And, uh, and, and a lot of forces are going to try to keep the status quo cool because that's what drives the economy and what makes cities financially stable. However, cities need to be made for them to work for people. So how can we start really understanding that human well-being is at the center of all of the decision making that we Take about the city and how we start bridging financial implications with well-being so that we can take strategic decisions that are going to be more
1: valid at this point and that are not solving just problems from the past. In a global pandemic there's no such thing as a best practice for all people and all cities and context matters more than ever when it comes to human lives and changes to climate that are no doubt related to these changes in health and well-being.
2: I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. It's safe to say that it's been a wild bunch of months. And now, after two months of strict social distancing here in Canada, many of the provinces are starting to reopen their communities and economies, and it has a lot of us thinking about how COVID will impact society and cities in the long term. How might our collective values adapt to this new reality? How will our food systems change? Will transit, retail, and nightlife be able to recover? How will global supply chains adapt? There are obviously endless questions related to COVID, not many answers at this point, but we wanted to check in and hear from past and future guests about their thoughts on how COVID will impact our communities. In this episode, you'll hear from Aaron Sullivan-White, Cassandra Cager, Christina Seidel, Sheena Jardine Oladde, Nick Ives Allison, Martina Turchinowicz, Lourdes Juan, Leela Vishwanathan, Paddy Rios, Greg Tenzola, Matt Pinder, and Eric Villa-Gomez.
3: Let's dive in. I've been sitting here trying to trying to put my thoughts together and thought I'd just jump in and go for it. I think the long-term impacts of COVID on our cities will really depend on how well we remember what this crisis is like. Um, I think there will be an urge to return as quickly as possible to the status quo, and I think there'll be a missed opportunity in many ways to reflect on who we are, sort of as a people, and how we live and how our communities are built.
0: I I believe it's too soon to just tell what are going to be the long-term impacts. I think
4: anybody would be hard-pressed to accurately predict the long-term effects of uh, COVID on cities. Insofar that cities are based on the values of its citizens, uh, the effects ultimately, I believe, will be a reflection of the degree to which our global values really have been shaken uh, by the pandemic.
1: If we're truly in this together, then it means that we need to call upon ourselves to do the work of reflecting on our values and morals and consider how these values and morals have affected our work and who we work with and ultimately what we gain from it.
5: Obviously, uh, the impacts on our cities are significant. We, we think of a successful city as something that is uh, bustling, crowded sidewalks, people pouring out of the streets into bustling restaurants and crowded shopping plazas, transit, uh, subways, buses filled with people, uh, people in office spaces uh, sitting on top of each other. You know, that's up until now, that's been considered success. So. Has the COVID crisis uh, impacted our cities? Most most certainly, because um, the fear for most of us uh, has been, how do we separate? How do we uh, isolate? How do we segregate? And our cities are not built. To think that way, uh, quite the opposite.
6: In the short to medium term, when we're looking at potentially up to 40 to 50 percent of the Canadian population having one or more of the risk factors that can make COVID-19 more dangerous for them, we're going to have to have some real serious conversations about accessibility and inclusion. People are starting to walk
7: more, cycle more, and get out of the habit of using their car for everything. And so we're we're seeing, you know, within our cities, a lot less commuting because people are working from home. And I think, you know, long term, this, this has a tremendous impact or it can have a tremendous impact to the way we design cities. Uh, and I'm hoping that it leads to you know our decision makers thinking about more quality when it comes to infrastructure related to alternate forms of transportation so whether that's you know taking bike lanes more seriously or increasing setbacks and sidewalk space for pedestrians i think that covid is really teaching us that cities aren't all about the car
8: all throughout ottawa where i live i've seen uh, a multitude of activities happening uh, on people's local streets it's they've essentially become an extension of the front lawn and yes, part of that is being driven by the fact that there's nowhere else to go, but it's also uh, I think something that could be sustained in the future and not seeing the street as something that is only for cars but in neighborhoods uh, actually thinking of it as a community space, this has definitely been something that has changed for me. And I I think uh, as a designer, I'm gonna think more about the neighborhood street as a community asset.
9: Pre-pandemic, our ideas of safety were very different than they are now. And I mean, for instance, in the nightlife sector, we were much more focused on things like preventing harassment and violence, harm reduction, security, building safety, and, you know, fire prevention. I think that health and accessibility are likely going to be at the forefront of everyone's mind for a while as we move out of the crisis and return back to normalcy. But what I do see as one of the challenges going forward is that we're going to have to make sure that we don't neglect the other aspects of safety, which are so critical to building vibrant and inclusive cities and nightlife. I also think that with the increased expectations of safety, that there's going to be greater burden placed on businesses, Um, many of whom have already been so heavily impacted by this already, and we're only like two and a half months in. So what we know is that if we want these local businesses, restaurants, venues, clubs, fitness studios, local sports teams to be able to return in any form, um, They're going to need greater support from all levels of government um, for them to meet the new safety requirements and expectations and figuring out what this new paradigm is while
10: remaining both economically viable and accessible. I foresee greater public participation in democracy, a lessening of apathy for civic issues. People are really exercising their voice more than ever right now, wanting to know what is happening around them. And I see them getting a real taste of it, wanting to better understand why decisions are being made and how that will impact them, their families and communities. Essentially people making more of an effort to take control of their future and not just letting it happen to them.
3: My hope is that there are long-term structural changes that result uh, from this crisis that deal with equity, that deal with our food system and how we how we feed ourselves and that deal with sort of how we work. I think that these these three areas, I think, food, equity and workplace become huge opportunities for lasting structural change from a food standpoint i think cities need to take on food policy in a big way i think there's some big gaps have been exposed and cities need to be leaders in helping develop resilient food systems
7: you know prior to covid not a lot of people were talking about food security or food access what the pandemic has really done is put a magnifying glass on this issue. So as we've seen unemployment increase, the number of food insecure households have skyrocketed, and I think it really shows how fragile our access is to food in our cities, and it's something that... um, you know, I think was, was largely ignored. And now we're, we're starting to look at it more seriously.
3: Huge, huge fault lines around equity have been exposed, both people being directly impacted by the coronavirus, as well as all of the, um, sort of the, the differential experience in those who are able to stay home, those who are able to sort of check out and sort of Take care of themselves and their families versus those who don't have a choice and need to keep showing up for work, whether it's at the, you know, the restaurant that's still hanging on, whether it's a delivery driver, whether it's a bus driver, grocery store workers, you know, so many of these essential workers simply don't have a choice. Um, and I think that that difference between the haves and the have nots has been exposed and needs to get reflected on further. So I think equity is a big deal.
6: So many of those who work at the places we miss so much, our favorite restaurants, sports arenas, shops, they were only ever one paycheck away from not being able to make rents or feed themselves or their families. And a lot of these businesses were also only you know, two weeks of cash flow away from potentially having to close. And that's not a criticism of these hardworking individuals or small business owners, but of the systems that have allowed these challenges to be brushed aside for so long and that demands you know, these very, very tight profit margins and low wages. The EI system, business loan programs, and the broader financial system aren't set up with these workers or businesses in mind, despite them being a massive chunk of the Canadian population and economy. The other thing we're seeing is that a lot of things that were dismissed as being impossible or too costly are possible now that a greater portion of the population is affected than it was believed to be before. A lot of this has to do with accessibility. As businesses try to enforce social distancing, it's suddenly possible to change the layouts of stores and restaurants to make aisles and passageways wider, which is something wheelchair and mobility device users have been advocating for for a long time now. Telecommuting is accepted, and it likely will be long after this is over. It's just a new way of life.
1: Speaking to an audience of city builders, designers, and planners, when I say that we need to reflect upon equity, diversity, and inclusion, I mean that you must start to show yourself some compassion and stop being afraid to ask questions about inequities based on social and economic situations, based on gender, based on race of individuals and communities. Stop being afraid of implicating yourself and considering how we have perpetuated problems of inequity or have been complicit in passing the buck to someone else. Maybe advocates or governments or social workers, rather than participating in developing collaborative and context-based solutions. Now's the time to face your fear. Ask those tough questions, reflect on them, learn from perspectives other than your own and listen and ask, where would my skills be best put to use and how can I help?
3: There will be big impacts on the way we work as a society. I think that we're learning how to be virtual. I think we're learning how to maybe be a little bit smarter about how much we move around and how much we don't. You know, maybe we don't need as many airplane trips. Maybe we can, you know, work from home a little bit more often, um, spend more time with family in the in the meantime. So I think there are some some workplace outcomes that hopefully get. Uh, sort of baked in a little bit more. And I think that will all have sort of impacts on our cities.
0: Um, Definitely we can see that there's going to be a shift in how we are working and maybe even offices, some offices might become obsolete in the way that they function right now. I think that the workplace is going to be receiving major impact and, and, and we should be seeing how This is going to be addressing maybe the needs not just of uh, one company subletting an office, but maybe it's shared throughout the week and maybe it's just used for meetings. So I can see definitely that the the little pods where people used to work might be changed into gathering spaces where team bonding might occur, where meetings can be held. While we seemed to be moving forward with a conversation about how to increase
10: density while maintaining quality of life and improving convenience, this has thrown a few challenges as to how to do that in a way the general public will really get behind. Those of us living in more urban neighborhoods, like in apartments or condos, who generally uh, don't have access to outdoor space, they might be thinking about how it would be great to be in the suburbs right now and have access to private outdoor space and a front door you can get to right off the street.
5: Are these condos that we've built big enough? Are when, when a person's forced to um, be in their home for weeks and months at a time, do they start to crave more space, more ground-related space? Does it change the demand for the type of housing we've been building? Does it change the demand for the, the type of housing that will be acceptable?
0: I, I would like to see, of course, this is m- maybe like a very idealistic point of view, but that housing is no longer controlled by market, and not at least not housing that is um, that is social housing or um, or low-cost uh, housing for um, people with low income. We need to put a policy in place. We need to start thinking about the policies that are going to protect people that lived live in a disadvantaged situation. And if we keep continuing look, building luxurious apartments, if we let them drive developers that are building luxurious apartments, drive the economy, then we are not learning anything from what is happening today. This is a perfect moment to start thinking about how we massively build modular housing. Or there might be other options also for modular housing, but insist that housing is no longer a commodity and it's a need. It's a it's one of the basic core needs that people have. One of the concerns that I have is that in our efforts to respond
7: to this pandemic there really has been a tendency to become very risk-averse. And through that, there's a danger that we could lose our long-term gains, especially as related to important environmental issues.
10: I think the question might be how long are the patterns of thinking that we've developed now going to last? And to what extent are we going to let today's crisis shape planning for the future, potentially pushing back some of the progress we've made around sustainability? Uh, A message of optimism Well, city or no city, we are interconnected in ways we didn't know until now. And we're ingenious species.
8: We know we're very capable of solidarity and we just need to keep that going. I don't want to talk uh, so optimistically about such a tragic event and such a damaging event to so many aspects of our society. But thinking forward about things that uh, could be silver linings for this, I do think that there is... Potential for a paradigm shift in how we think about transportation in urban areas to come out of this.
0: Some days I have a positive and optimist message, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> Fortunately, this is one of those days that I'm feeling uh, positive and optimist about this. Um, we will recover from this in the same way that we have recovered from from war, um, from other pandemics. And uh, from financial crisis, there's no doubt that we're going to recover from this. The way that we recover and how we include the population and how we build a more resilient community is, is something that we should be looking into.
3: I think we have two choices. I think we can get through it and get back to business as usual and do it as quick as possible. And that will be a mistake. I think we need to choose to live in this and choose to reflect on this and choose to see how many gardens have been planted, how many new ways we've learned how to connect with friends and family and communities, and how many ways we can build something better.
0: We have more tools that can keep us connected at this point. There are more tools that can keep us involved and where everyone can have a say, where essential workers are no longer Um, at the last line of who do we invite as priority voices to be part of this conversation.
10: We're likely to see another wave of young entrepreneurs, similar to the last recession. When there are no jobs, the only way to make a living is to make your own. With this next generation, diversity will not be an aspiration anymore. It's embedded in the fabric of how they live and work.
1: For those of us who have embraced the idea that empathy is the starting point to design and its follow-up actions... I encourage you to take the next step and explore what it means to foster compassion for others as a starting point to building better places to live, work and play when people are focusing way more on their own survival out of necessity more than on living and thriving. It means that instead of jumping into the expert fix this mode, we might dig even deeper to ask, how can I help? Or is my job simply to listen and learn or ask where my skills would be best put to use?
5: I think what I think what we do know is that uh, cities will continue. It will adapt. As with all things, we find out how to move forward. There are unfortunately some difficulties and casualties along the way, but we adapt and we get better. And I'm certain, in you know, 20 years from now, uh, the way the cities have evolved, we'll look back and think, can you can you believe we used to do things like that?
10: The new normal is definitely going to be different, but that doesn't mean it's going to be worse. At a societal level, it's given us a chance to reflect on what's really essential, and we will hopefully be less likely to take a lot of things for granted. Hopefully, having to confront our vulnerability as a society will also make us a kinder one.
5: I think we will say we lived we lived in a period of accelerated transformation. And um, we're probably better for it.
8: I really do think that this is the beginning of a future of much more sustainable transportation. And as cities start to experiment with temporary infrastructure, I think that will become permanent as time goes on. And those cities will become global leaders and lessons will get passed down to other cities.
4: COVID has brought into sharp relief the fact that the planet really is an interconnected global system of settlements uh, that that requires wise coordination, um, empathic negotiation uh, uh, to really resolve the complex uh, contradictions and conflicts um inherent that we're seeing uh, around us now. Uh and ultimately I I hope like the uh, like the blue marble image of uh, uh, of 1972 um I really truly hope that the pandemic has opened the gateway to uh, a greater awareness uh of us humans as uh, as a unified global population requiring mutual support and sympathy.
3: Right now I'm speaking sort of within, within sort of peak coronavirus in the U S you know, New York has maybe, maybe plateaued North Carolina is yet to peak. And most of the mood is about urgent, sometimes hasty reactions. Let's try to deal with it. Let's try to get people fed. Let's try to figure out how to do testing. Let's make sure we have enough medical equipment and protective equipment. Let's react, let's react, let's react. And the quality of our cities in the future will depend on how well we reflect.
1: I hope it opens... Uh, city builders eyes that in a global pandemic there's no such thing as a best practice for all people and all cities and that context matters more than ever when it comes to human lives and changes to climate that are no doubt related to these changes in health and well-being. It's time to rethink what we mean by human-centered planning.
8: This pandemic has really shown how much power there is in people to demand change and to organize quickly and to petition and rally governments to uh, address issues that arise in the moment. There's
0: no single hero that is going to lead us out of the situation. It's a bunch of capable minds that are working together to understand how the changes in the city are going to promote well-being in the future.
7: What we're what we're seeing now uh, through the last six to eight weeks is is really community coming together during the pandemic, and we're seeing people look out for each other. So whether that's you know kids that are making sidewalk talk um, that spread messages of hope, or if it's taking the time to appreciate our frontline healthcare workers um, and grocery store workers, uh, I think it's important that coming out of this pandemic. We think uh, of those most vulnerable on a daily basis and we do something, um, everyone does something, even if it's so small, that can help someone else out or make someone else's day. We've been, you know, physically separated for each other but I think that that's teaching us uh, how to all appreciate each other more.
2: COVID-19 will obviously have a lasting impact on all elements of our society, including how our cities are planned, designed and used. I'm hopeful that some of these changes we're seeing now in the wake of COVID will change our communities for the better. I'd love to hear your thoughts about how COVID may impact our communities and cities. How has this experience changed what you think about cities? Has it highlighted issues that have been previously ignored? And do you have any messages of optimism for the future of our cities in a post-pandemic world? Drop us a line on social media or email us at hello at 360degree.city. I hope that you're all staying safe and staying well. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.